This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. People were calling it Marshathon, and it kind of spread around Twitter as like Marsha is live tweeting her solo marathon. So I went viral on Twitter, and so yeah, all these strangers would just show up and be like, "Are you Marsha?" and then hand me a bottle of Gatorade, come and run with me for a few miles. It was amazing. It was like one of the best days I'd ever had. Welcome to U-Turns, the podcast that explores positive change because shift happens. I'm Lisa Oz and I'm here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Jill Herzig. And today we are talking, well, about so many things. One of the things we're going to talk about is how to inject humor into your shift and also the power of storytelling. Indeed. I don't know if any of us could get through any transition without laughing about it. We have laughed about ours very, very hard. <laughs> a lot, <laughs> a lot. And luckily, we have with us today Marsha Shandor, who is incredibly funny in doing everything that she does. Marsha is a storytelling coach, which turns out to be pretty important when you're in the midst of a U-turn. And she helps people figure out how their stories are going to help them find direction and how to reach other people with them. She's also a fantastic blogger and a great, very authentic Facebook presence. So let's get started. Welcome, Marsha. That was such a nice intro. Thank you. <laughs> so I have a question for you. Just get the ball rolling. How was your day and what was your favorite part about it? <laughs> um, what a great question. Someone really smart must have taught you to ask that. Um, my day was pretty good. It is beautifully spring here in Toronto and I woke up and uh, have a six and a half month old at home and she is just was being super cute today. And uh, it's, I mean, it's this thing where people talking about their babies is just 
kind of boring to everyone that isn't in love with that baby. <laughs> but when you have one, it's really hard not to. So I started my morning with my face in her neck. And oh, like, because I was kissing it, not because I was eating her. Um, Sometimes <laughs> it's hard not to take a bite. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Anyway, so that was my favorite part. Oh, but can I tell you one more interesting favorite part was I spoke to my videographer today and I have a few videos coming out in the next couple of months. Oh, yeah. He is such a genius. Not only does he have brilliant ideas, but he takes the ridiculous ideas out of my brain and puts them on to video. And so uh, the video that he most recently sent me was a video of, you know, the Rocky training montage? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but except I'm Rocky. Oh my God. Are you wearing a wig? I'm wearing so many different things. And there's a point where like in the training montage where Rocky is getting punched in the stomach. And so we needed a random hand to be punching me in the stomach. And it's actually my mom who was busy. <laughs> could just about see her. That must have been so cathartic for her. She might have been waiting for a, a long, long time to do that, Marcia. 41 years. <laughs> Marcia does do some of the more insane videos that you can find. She does. I love her videos. Online. I love them. And, but they all have, you know what, what, what one of the things that we both love about you is that you have great information in your videos, but you make them fun and accessible. So you wear a wig and then you tell us when we meet someone new, don't just ask what they do, but to ask them how their day was, which is so unique. And I think it's brilliant. I'm going to do it from now on at every cocktail party I go to. Asking people what they do. I mean, the thing about that question was I've had periods of my life where people have said, so what do you do? And I've thought, wouldn't it be hilarious if I told you the truth? Like, wouldn't it be hilarious if I said, well, mostly I paced the corridors of my mom's house because I'm back living with my mom again, crying, wishing that I had a better job than I have right now. What do you do? Like, oh. it's just awful when people ask you that question when you're not in a place. And often people, you know, what they what they do, their main job is not their passion. Whereas if you ask someone, how was your day? Everybody has an answer to that. And if you ask them what was their favorite part or, you know, what was a part they really enjoyed, then everybody has an answer to that. And they can talk about stuff that they care about, which is yeah. so much more interesting. Yeah, one of the things about living in New York City is that that is always, what do you do? Mm. You know, where are you at in your career? That is the first question anybody ever asks you about. Which is why we're doing this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Because we, because neither of us know. <laughs> <laughs> we're figuring it out. And and it changes, right? And if we, or your whole identity is caught up in your career and then that shifts, who the heck are you? Yeah. I mean, I've I, compared it to feeling like you're walking around outside and you just realize you've lost your driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh no. It literally feels like, have I ceased to exist if I don't have this tiny little plastic card with a picture on it? Where is my ID? I had exactly that experience when I moved to Canada from London. And I thought, oh, clean break. I'll change careers when I move and I'll decide what to do once I get there, which to, which made sense in a way of like, oh, I'm changing everything. So I might as well change this other thing. But in retrospect, like if you're going to move to a new continent, <laughs> not have any friends, maybe keep one thing the same, maybe not have a giant identity crisis. And it was exactly that way. I was a radio DJ for a long time and I was known as Marsha from the radio for 15 years. And then I moved here and it wasn't just that I wasn't Marsha from the radio. It was that all the things that used to give me some kind of credibility or meaning, you know, people at least had heard of the radio station I worked for, or I'd worked on a bunch of TV shows that were really big. I was choosing music for TV shows for a while. So I'd worked on a couple of really big TV shows in the UK. And it wasn't even about impressing people. It was just about them being able to be like, oh, that thing that I've heard of. But I came here and I was like, I worked on XFM and they're like, XM Satellite Radio. And I'm like, no, it's not. That. <laughs> it's a different thing that you don't know. Yeah. And I worked on these TV shows that you've never heard of. And people yeah. would just kind of go, yeah. And what are you doing now? And I'd be like, 
crying uh, and pacing the corridors. <laughs> so, okay, so what later. was the transition? Where yeah. are you, you're clearly not crying or pacing the floor right now. Where? How did you discover what your new identity was going to be? Can I tell you the first thing that I did to get out of the identity yes, crisis? Yes, please that had do. nothing to do with discovering. And like the thing that I would do differently if I could do it again was I would just, I had, because I was doing some freelance work for stuff in the UK that was quite well paid, choosing music for these TV shows that no one here had heard of. Mm. I had a cushion where I could kind of figure out what I was doing. And so I didn't just go and get any job. And I actually wished that I had. At the time I was like, oh, I shouldn't just get a job, you know, whatever, doing doing just something like once a week in a coffee shop or working in an office because I should have the freedom to be able to travel and do what I want. But I feel like not doing anything does make you sometimes feel, if you're someone who has, you know, all the way through school and then got their first job, you know, while they're still in school and then got their first job, while for me, when I went to university and I got my first job before I graduated, like I just have been working, 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 working nonstop. And then suddenly to not be, it was that thing of like, who am I? And I felt so much like a spaceman who'd gone on a walk and then been space woman, excuse me, who'd gone on a walk and then had her a rope cut. And I feel like if I just had had a, had somewhere to go every week, yeah. then that would have given me something. And so for me, the first thing that really changed things was I started volunteering once a week oh, yeah. and I started volunteering at a day center for seniors with varying degrees of dementia. And that did a bunch of things for me. And one was that it gave me, I, there was at least one place I had to be every week at a certain time. And the the, the difference in sense of self that that made was enormous. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Secondly, it made me feel like I was contributing to the world, which sitting around scratching my navel was not making right. me feel like. <laughs> and then third, this one in particular, like in particular to what it was that I was doing, once a week hanging out with people who... I won't swear, but could not give an F what my career is, what my romantic status is, what my friendship, you know, whether I have friends or not, um, because it was irrelevant to them was really actually very liberating. Because obviously with your friends, like you want to talk about that stuff with them, but it was so nice to be with people who didn't even really understand any of the jobs I'd had. You know, the most every now and then they might be like, you married? And if I said no, they'd be like, what? And that was it. That was the end of the conversation. And so that was really liberating. But honestly, it was just doing something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. By the way, one of the things we love about you is that you swear, so feel free. Really? Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> swear podcast. I'm just always like, what if grandma's? Oh, you know. That yeah, I mean that sounds that sounds like something that we've discussed between the two of us. A lot of it is about um finding just some place to feel like what you're giving is needed, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's it's sort of an addictive feeling when you have it constantly all day at your job or in your family, like that constant pitter-patter of need. And then when that need goes away, it can you can feel a little disappeared too. Totally, totally. Yeah. And I find that actually ongoing. Do you guys know Heather Havrileski, who does Ask Polly in New York magazine? Yeah. She does. So it's this, yeah, it's this advice column. Yeah. I love her. And honestly, if I'm having a hard day, I pretty much just comb through her advice <laughs> columns because... Every single week, I'm like, this problem has nothing to do with me. And then I read her reply and I'm like, get out of my brain. <laughs> um, and I read one once. I was having a, a crappy day like a few weeks ago and I read her advice to someone and it said, go and help someone. Even if you feel like you have nothing to offer anyone else, see if you can find someone to help. And so I literally just went on Facebook and went, I'm in an advice giving mood. Who wants some advice? And then it ended up like 23 comments later and an hour later. I mean, I wasted an hour that I well, didn't really have. Well, and now you have an advice, a video advice column. 
I do. Which I have a life I love, by the way. It's wonderful. <laughs> and you really put yourself on the spot because people call in and you are standing there and the question hits you and it, you got to be wise. Just boom, like I that. I have a question about that. Um, yes. Your uh, site, which is Yes, Yes, Marsha. Um, yeah. Every time I say that, though, I have to say it like when Harry met Sally. So I'm going, Yes, Yes, <laughs> Marsha. I can't stop myself. I don't know why. But why Yes, Yes, Marsha? What is that about? Yes, tell us. <laughs> so I'm a very famously positive person. I have the word yes tattooed on my finger. And um, <laughs> and my last name is very hard to spell and pronounce. So I knew I couldn't have that in my website. And honestly, somebody else had hello, Marsha. Hi, Marsha looks a bit like it says him asked. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want that associated. And, and, and yes, Marsha was taken on Twitter for someone's dead friend. And so I went with yes, yes, Marsha. And it's worked out so well for me. And actually, as soon as I did it, I told one of my excellent friends, Chris Graham from tellpeople.ca, who is a brilliant storyteller. And the first thing he said was, it sounds like somebody's having sex with you. And I went, yeah, it sounds like they're having a super good time. I'm all right with that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. That's deliberate. All right, that is all fascinating. And the storytelling piece I want to get back to, we're going to take a quick break. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring, and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up, like Mother's Day and the wind-down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect, flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first like worthington and liz claiborne for her each in women's petite and plus sizes and stafford and mutual weave for him style and comfort for all even big and tall plus even more for the whole family like levi's and exertion here spring comes in all shapes sizes and colors jc penny make everybody count Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Before the break, we were talking about how sexy, yes, yes, Marsh is, um, which it sounds like the beginning of a story, doesn't it? it um, does. And I think that we need to talk about storytelling because that's really the focus of your work and how powerful telling a story can be both for our interactions with other people, but also for ourselves, right? The stories we tell ourselves really create our reality. So let's jump into storytelling. I'm obsessed with storytelling. And actually where I became obsessed with it originated in New York. I was a, when I lived in London, I used to listen obsessively to This American Life, the NPR show. And one episode, they had a story by Mike Babiglia, an amazing comedian and storyteller that he had told at the live storytelling show, The Moth, Mm. which started in New York. And I became obsessed with The Moth. And on a visit to New York, I went to go, you know, I was there for like just over a week and I managed to go to two different shows and lined up, you know, in the cold for hours to get in. That's the authentic moth experience, by the way, freezing your ass off. (laughs) I remember being there once and being like, it's so great that people line up. Like it's like, I don't know. I remember dates when I was there, but that it was like for Justin Bieber, people line up like in the freezing cold for a show they might not get into just to hear people telling stories. But so it's a live storytelling show and I became totally obsessed with it and got back to London and listened obsessively to as many as I could and then found a show in London, True Stories Told Live, um, and went along to that and told a story and found it to be this very profound experience. It was a story about my granny and I felt like I got to spend time with her again. Mm. And I remember being struck by that for years. And, and then, you know, I, I moved to Toronto and I started my own version of the show and started coaching the storytellers and eventually did this for my job. And what I now know about the brain science behind storytelling is that when you tell a story and when you listen to a story, completely different parts of your brain respond. If they stick you in an MRI machine, then when you're telling facts, um, the person listening, the areas that respond are called broker's area and Wernicke's area, and they're the data processing parts. But when you're listening to a story, the parts of your brain that respond are the parts of your brain that would respond if you were inside my story. So I smell coffee and talk about that, your olfactory cortex lights up. I talk about grabbing a pen, your motor cortex lights up, specifically the part related to hand movement. And -hmm. so that's happening for you and that's happening for me. And when it's happening live, our brains are going in sync with each other. And when it's happening live in a room full of people, everybody's brains are going in sync with each other, like a giant benign alien invasion. (laughs) And I think that's why so often telling a story on stage? I used to call it, I used to say it feels like there's alchemy in the room. And we've all had this experience, whether it's, you know, a friend at a party with five people around or whether it's a stand-up comedian at Carnegie Hall, it feels like there's some kind of electricity. And I realize it's not alchemy, it's neurology. It's everybody's brains all lighting up in the same places at the same time. Mm. And to me, that explains why it felt like time travel. And I see this again and again with storytellers, mm. that they'll tell the story to me and they'll be okay and they'll get on stage and they're so moved because it feels like you're getting getting to do it again. Yeah. I love it. All right. So talk to us about telling stories in smaller venues. <laughs> so maybe you're not on stage, but how can we use it? Like what, 
I, I think like so many in our people, daily lives. Yeah, I mean, I think so many people, y- you talk to them about that, and they think, well, what's the big story? I in mean, our therapist's office? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe there. Um, you well, know, what's, what's the big story about me? I mean, I, I just, I get up, I do my thing, I do what's expected, I, you know. But here's the thing is, it's not about big stories. It's not about big stories. And with storytelling, it's not about what the story is, it's how you tell it. And you know that because we all have that one person in our life who they could tell any story and we're gripped. And yeah. we all have been at a party stuck next to that other person who we know did something really interesting but dear god when will it end <laughs> because they don't know how to tell it and actually the the power of storytelling comes in the granular detail it comes in the small moments i could say to you i went to the arctic for 3 months and i had an amazing time and i saw five different kinds of wildlife and we had a couple of awesome parties and i met this really interesting scientist and i went on four excursions and then i came back and you would be like cool. Yeah. <laughs> or I yeah. could say to you, yesterday morning, I stepped outside my front door and as the door clicked shut behind me, I felt the sun on my face and in the pit of my stomach was this excitement. And then I put my hand in my pocket. The money was there. This was going to happen. And that's about me going to the corner store to buy a bag of chips. <laughs> but it's about that granular detail and asking yourselves the two most important questions, which are what did it look like? And then specifically, how did you feel? And that's how people are drawn in. And so those are, in terms of your day-to-day life, this can be telling a story to your kid or to your sweetheart, or this can be, you know, to, to just to someone that you've met, or if you do uh, any kind of work where you have to interact with any other kind of humans in any way, then storytelling <laughs> is essential for, I mean, that's how we bond with people. That's how we bonded with people since long before. Not only was there not internet, but there wasn't books. You know, that was how we conveyed information to people because the different parts of your brain are lighting up. We actually hold stories better in our brains because they're activating all of those active parts, you know, the the motor cortex and the sensory cortex and the olfactory cortex that facts aren't. It's how you get the point across. You know, you could show me all these data transponsting things and I wouldn't know what you're talking about. But if you said, say you're sitting at your computer and you go to open Skype and it loads really slowly and you get frustrated. If you type this code in there, it'll load quicker. And I'll be like, oh, I can imagine that. And that's, you've made a little picture in my brain. You tell Mm -hmm. me a little story. You know, it doesn't have to be the story of something that happened. It can be a theoretical story like that. And then if you have any kind of job where you're selling anything at all, whether it's selling, you know, goods or services or just selling ideas, then storytelling does all this other cool stuff that if you tell a story well, and by well, I mean, with that detail and with those emotions, then not only are those different parts of my brain activated, but you actually create oxytocin, which makes bonding and trust. Mm. You create dopamine, which not only makes me happy, it also helps with information processing and it's a memory aid. So whenever I'm teaching anything, I teach networking sometimes as well, I will tell a story at the beginning in part to activate people's brains to make them ready for learning. And so there's so many different things that storytelling does that makes your life easier and smoother and just more fun. And then my drive behind, you know, those are all the reasons why it's good and why people pay me money. Yeah. But the reason why I do this really is because the more I've, and I've been coaching storytellers for over five years, and the more I do this, the more I've come to understand that pretty much all of us walk around all day, every day. You said I'm around, let's swear, right? Oh yeah, please. Okay. Pretty much all of us walk around all day, every day, thinking that everybody else has their shit together and I'm the only one that doesn't. Yes. You know, everybody yeah. else has a perfect relationship or a perfect job or a perfect business or a perfect family and I'm the only one that doesn't. And to cheer ourselves up, more often than not, we go on Facebook. And of course, on Facebook, everyone's posting their highlight reels. And when you're having a bad day, it can feel like an assault sometimes that you go on and in your feed, it's just like, hey, look at me and my and you're, partner, we're happy all the time. And you're rebelling. 
you're rebelling on Facebook against this. <laughs> rebelling a little bit, but I do buy into this as well. You know, I do yeah. go on Instagram and go, oh, look, I hosted a storytelling event. Oh, I'm running another workshop. I'm so important. And we do that. And, and what that does is that compounds that feeling. Everybody else has it together and I don't. And that feeling is shame. Mm. I'm the failure. Everybody else is nailing it and I'm the shame, failure. And what shame does is it cuts you off from everyone. And when you're in shame, you can't be empathetic. You can't feel empathy and shame at the same time. And lack of empathy is the root of all evil. Like we see this in your country now. We see this in my home country. I mean, it's happening everywhere. It's happening in Canada as well. That when we can't empathize with people, that's that's when we're cruel to them, you know, and that's when we decide, oh, this kind of people, you know, do do this. Or sh- I feel like shame is, is what drives bad behavior. And so if you yeah. can tell a story where you don't have to talk about like, you don't have to like put your knickers in the window, as I would say, like you don't have to talk about everything in your life that's failing, but just tell me a way in which you weren't perfect at some point. And then I'll think, oh, you don't have your shit together either. Maybe it's okay that I don't. And tell that story in a room full of people or online where I know that more than just I am reading and I'll think, oh, maybe nobody has their shit together. And that dissolves that shame and bonds us to each other. It's interesting because it, it requires a certain amount of vulnerability. You know, you, you've got you've to offer a little bit of vulnerability to other people. But here's in the thing: order to feel that support, which then you makes do, you feel yeah. less vulnerable. And that's what Brene Brown says: when we meet someone, vulnerability is the first thing we look for in them, and the last thing we want to show them. But what's so interesting and cool about storytelling, and this is, you know, I work with corporate groups and with lead with leaders and executives on this because they know, like, they're supposed to feel vulnerable to to be vulnerable. They're supposed to be vulnerable to be seen as being human, but they worry that it's going to diminish their authority. But storytelling is a super low stakes way to be vulnerable because all you have to do is tell me an emotion that you had at some point that wasn't just every I felt happy because everything was great all of the time it's mm-hmm. either a negative emotion or a positive emotion in an embarrassing situation right, you might be, so you're not just exposing yourself and making yourself look like a failure in, in general it's just a specific story that where you allow yourself to be exposed a little tiny bit. A and again, tiny bit. small. Like you can tell me about buying coffee this morning and that you said to the barista, can I have a mate instead of a latte? And then <laughs> you tried to correct yourself and called it a farte. And then everybody in the coffee shop <laughs> laughed and you laughed along with them. But really you were like, oh no, this is so embarrassing. And straight away I'm like, oh, you're a human being who messes up too. I also, I find that children are an invaluable source of this. Oh, yeah. Because A, they think you're an idiot. And they have no, they have no shame at all. They let you know that all the time. And, you know, when my kids were tiny, like your kids are, you know, I mean, I, I, there were the funny stories just, I had one a day. I mean, I remember I showed up once at work because I was so discombobulated with, with having two tiny kids and I was wearing this dress that I loved and it was kind of a sheer layer with a little slip underneath it and I took off my coat and guess guess which part of the dress I was not wearing I was not wearing the slip underneath it and I, I actually went to the ladies room I was like you know what maybe no one will notice I, I walked into the bathroom I stood in front of this mirror I was completely naked in my underpants and did bra. you keep your coat on the whole day no what I did was because I was so this was new motherhood and being a working mom had me so crazed. I got to work really, really early because I felt like maybe that would give me some modicum of control. So as it turned out, I was able to put my coat back on, run across the street to the Gap, 
which happened to open right at the stroke of nine. <laughs> and I bought myself a little black nightgown and I stuck it underneath my dress. And I have it to this day. It's actually kind of a great oh, nightgown. Oh, it's resourceful. <laughs> See, that's a good so, story. Well, there you go. There that's you go. a great story. And that shows how resourceful you are, which makes you very employable and actually very capable because it shows me that if something goes wrong, you're going to find a way around it. And also, that just made me like you more. Like, I, I know, already Marcia, liked you. I'm a little like worried. The lady who showed up half naked to work. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's the thing is often we tell those stories and we're like, oh, God, what are people going to say? And I, in my experience, if it's something like that, like that's pretty low stakes. You're not saying, and now here I am naked right now. And then right. I was being like, oh, this is going to be an awkward interview. You know, it's, <laughs> it's this thing that happened in the past. You figured it out. And so it makes me like you more. And I generally I like, I like a lot of people. I find it pretty easy to find stuff that I like about people because I find it easy to ask questions like, how was your day? And what's one thing that you like? So that they talk about something interesting. But there are two people in my head I can think of now that I cannot and every time I see and they're the yeah and there are a couple of people and I see them like a couple of times a year at events and every time I do you know they walk into the room and I'm totally like I'm so nice I'm really I'm like hey nice to see you maybe I'll give them a hug but in my head I'm like (laughs) and I really like I cannot stand them and I've tried to pull apart why because I don't like not liking people it's an uncomfortable feeling for me and I've realized it's because they never show a scrap of vulnerability and even though intellectually I understand that that means they're probably in a lot of pain and a lot of shame. On some level, I think maybe you are perfect and you'll judge me because I'm not. (laughs) And so that little bit of vulnerability is what makes us like people more. Yes. What you just mentioned about, you know, that maybe they are perfect and they'll judge me. That's a story you're telling yourself. And so I want to shift gears a tiny bit from the stories we tell other people to connect and to illustrate and to share vulnerability or to communicate an idea to the stories we tell ourselves which can either empower us and help us make shifts and changes and grow or can make us end up in a ball in the corner. (laughs) You know, how do we control? Well, there's a good story. You were talking about the elements of a good story when we tell stories in groups. What are the elements of a good story for ourselves? Oh, that is a really great question. And I think... So the first thing that's coming to my brain is like the is is how to how to notice even in the first place that you're telling stories to yourself. And in my experience of like, you know, I only started noticing that I guess when I first got into therapy, which was maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, which by the way, I come from a country where it's not really okay to be in therapy. I just stopped <laughs> telling people because they would be so weird about it. Um, but therapy is the greatest and there is a different one for everyone. Um <laughs> But but so I think the first thing is noticing that they are stories because you don't think they are. Like you really believe those things to be fully true. You know, if you think, if I think about myself in my early 20s, what would I go back and tell myself? And one of the things is everybody else's feelings aren't your responsibility. And also half the time they're not even having those feelings that you're assuming that they are. But you just think that these are kind of universal truths. So it's about looking at them, first of all, just observing them. And honestly, I think it's also about, so this is like more the methods, because it's not even so much that how do you construct a story for yourself? It's more like, how do you deconstruct the stories that you're automatically constructing for yourself? And that's how we do it. That's how we find meaning in things. And I would say the sex of one is to notice. And the second thing is to meditate, because with meditation, lots of people think it's about stilling your mind and it's not, it's about letting go, Mm. learning to let go. Like I meditated 
um, in, on good months every day, on bad months, like maybe once or twice a week, for like two or three minutes sometimes. I feel like the biggest myths of meditation, one is that it's about stilling your mind, and two is that you have to do an hour every day, which really, who has the time? And <laughs> Thank you for say saying I that. Do, <laughs> say I do a 10-minute meditation and say I have a really good one. I am, my mind is probably still collectively over the 10 minutes. If you add up all the times that my mind is still on a really great day for 30 seconds, if mm. that, but it's just about letting go, letting go, letting go. And when you're able to let go, it makes it much easier to be like, oh, I'm getting caught up in this story. And I feel like I do it so much and I've gotten, I've got better and better at observing. So for instance, one thing that I noticed a few months ago that I do, and this was really disappointing <laughs> is that I will have angry conversations in my head with people <laughs> about either things that they said a long time ago or more often than not things that they have never said but that I assume that they're thinking and this was really shocking to me because when I was having my angry conversation like I was being wrong like how dare they say that about me how dare they of course I want to defend myself and for me to realize that this person had actually never said that thing <laughs> and maybe they didn't think it at all was really hard because suddenly it's like, oh, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> you know, I do that before a, what I assume is going to be some kind of a confrontational situation. And so I'll plan out what I'm going to say and then they'll say this and then I'm going to say this. And then they don't, they go off script and I don't know, mm -hmm. I don't know what to say. It's like, they don't know their lines. <laughs> did, you, did you not read the script? Yeah, exactly. You're supposed to yell at me here so okay, I can see out of the room. All right. I got to, I got to stop this fun here for a break. We'll be right back. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall, plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Before the break, we were talking about storytelling, both the stories we tell to other people and the stories we tell to ourselves and how to optimize those. Um, and, and freeing we, ourselves from the mean storyteller in our head who yeah, imagines some, all kinds of conflict and obstacles and what people probably are saying about us. Sometimes knowing good storytelling is knowing when to be quiet, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I, I used to say to people that uh, sometimes the shower is a dangerous place for me because I feel like that's where that nasty woman just won't shut up, mm. not to mention that I'm standing there naked and she's talking. <laughs> like, can you please, can you wait until I have some clothes on? We've got a lot of naked I know. metaphors here today. You what? said sexy at the beginning. Uh, shame voice and nakedness. It's true. Mm. It's true. So the the feeling that you give me is that anyone can be a great storyteller and okay. be anyone. someone who can connect with others. And yet so many of us wander around thinking, oh, you know, I'm not really so good at that. I don't want to go to a party because I'm really bad at that, you know? So is anyone coachable and changeable in this way? Everyone, everyone. For my, so for my live show, True Stories Toronto, we, uh, so we've been running for five years and um, I have a two-year waiting list. I'm currently booking in for November 2019. I think I have like two spots left for November next year. You better sign up, and, Jill, right now. Yeah, oh, God. Um, and... The only stipulations to tell a story are that you're willing to sit down with me, that you've been to at least one show and that you want to tell a story. And otherwise, that's it. I have never turned anyone away because I'm fully of the belief that everybody has at least one powerful 10-minute story in them, if not more. And one of the big myths of storytelling is that you're born with it or you're not. And that is absolutely not true. It is a learned skill with a set of rules. Mm -hmm. And that's why there is that person in your life who could tell any story. They are following those rules. And that's why those people at the party who did the interesting thing are talking about it in such a boring way. So you don't divide the world into people who are naturals and people who... You know, what kind are those of rules so we can be good storytellers? Can you yeah. just break I, that down for us? Yeah, yeah. So the rules, so first of all, I absolutely don't divide it. And the people who are natural storytellers, like I've been naturally telling stories most of my life. And that's because very early on, I figured out that if I tell a story and everyone listens, it makes me feel like maybe I'm worthy as a human being and ultimately lovable. And so I practiced in my head and on everyone that I could. So the rules are, first of all, the thing we talked about of like, go small, find the granular moments. When you're telling a story, you're making a movie inside your listener's head. So stop thinking 
thinking about that movie as the whole 90 minutes and start thinking about it in terms of it being a series of action scenes. You know, if you think about movies, there's voiceover, which is kind of context and philosophy. There's montage, which is like this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And then there's those granular action scenes. And usually voiceover and montage are used to get from one action scene to another. But most of the movie is made up of action scenes. Storytelling is the same. The difference between those three is how much you zoom in. So voiceover could be when I was 19, I went to Europe and my friend and I traveled around. We visited nine different countries. You know, we felt it was good to expand our horizons at that age. That's voiceover. Montage would be when I was 19, my friend and I went to Europe. We drank red wine in Paris. We looked at the street art in Berlin. We walked the canals of Amsterdam. So again, you're getting, you know, a bit more narrative, but you're having to do all the heavy lifting in terms of what that trip was like. An action scene is to say, I'm standing on the subway in Paris when this woman starts walking towards me and I panic and my stomach goes into a tight knot because I think I don't speak French. And then in perfect English, she says, I'm terribly sorry, you seem to have dropped your 200 franc note. (laughs) And that's the action. And that's where all the excitement happens. And the way that you build those action scenes is you keep asking yourself, what did it look like? And how did you feel? And the next most important rule is that you have to talk about your emotions. How did you feel? How did you feel? How did you feel? Because those are the ways that we can relate to any story. I had a storyteller at my show not long ago tell a story about going and protesting at Standing Rock in North Dakota. I'm pretty sure no one else in the room had been to Standing Rock. I'm pretty sure very few of us had been to the kind of protests where you might get maced or arrested. But every single one of us knows how it feels to be somewhere where you're supposed to be brave and to feel terrified. Every single one of us knows how it feels to be somewhere where you're supposed to be brave, to do something cowardly, and then to feel shame. And so we could connect to his story, and it was really powerful. And that's what the good storytellers are doing. They're putting in that emotion so that you know how it felt, so that you can relate to the story, whatever the content is. And so that they're saying to you the four most powerful words in the English language, which are, you are not alone. Mm. That's where that vulnerability comes in, just by telling us how you felt. So that then I go, oh, I felt that way too. Yeah, yeah. And then the third thing I would say is don't throw in spoilers. Like, you know, when you're watching a TV show that someone else has watched and then you go on Facebook and everyone's like, oh my God, Orange is the New Black. I can't believe that. Blank, blank, blank. We live in such a spoiler culture right now. It's terrible. (laughs) And it's awful. And the reason it's awful is because you break the tension and it's the same in stories. And people often think, oh, I'll say the like most exciting part first because then people will want to keep listening. But actually we stop caring. If you say, of course, at that point, I didn't realize they'd already given the job to Maya. I stopped caring about the job interview because I'm like, eh, you're not going to get the job anyway. (laughs) And so don't throw in spoilers. Like go, go granular, do action scenes. Tell me how you felt. And don't throw in spoilers. I'd say those are the three biggest rules. So do you need a beginning, middle, and an end the way that you would in traditional storytelling, like, you know, novels or movies or... Unless you're writing a memoir, I don't think you do. I think, you know, it's nice if you're telling a 10-minute story, but for so many of us, we're just telling a story to get something across. You know, if you're Mm. telling a story, if you're using it in your work, you're just trying to get something across. If you're telling a, you know, if you're using it in a blog... Um, you just want to have that action scene and then you can weave it in. Or if you're trying to say to someone like, oh, this embarrassing thing happened this morning, tell them about the embarrassing moment and then resolve it. We tend to need much less detail than you think we do. And I think if you're using the story to illustrate something, you don't need all of, you know, I love, there are storytelling teachers out there who will talk about the hero's journey archetype or this archetype or that archetype. I super respect those people. 
that's not how I tell stories. You know, sometimes people are like, I want to tell the story of, you know, of my business. And, and I'm like, did a thing happen to you? I'm going to tell you how to tell the thing that happened to you. Hmm. And that's really, you know, that's what I think is most important. And then you can work on all of that stuff. And that's awesome. You know, if you're making a movie, yes, do your hero's journey archetype. If you're writing a memoir, totally think about that kind of thing in the structure. But really think about like, what did it look like? And how did you feel? What did it look like? And how did you feel? Hmm. All right. What did it look like and how did you feel? There's another There's another super simple piece of advice that I found um, in a recent blog post from you. You say, before you do anything, you have to ask yourself, what am I trying to achieve with this? What do I want to be different in the world as a result of me doing this? And, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of facepalm variety advice. It's not, it's, it's not a crazy out there thought. And yet it felt like the best litmus test I'd heard in a long, long time. Um, you know, is that, is that something that you constantly remind your clients to be doing? Is that something we should all as just general humans in our lives be doing? Yeah. I mean, not all, all, all the time that sometimes I do think that just like dicking around is fine. Like it's (laughs) fine to sometimes sit and watch YouTube trailers for an hour. Like that's okay. I'm getting coffee. I need it. (laughs) But when it comes to doing anything, I would say around work or around whether you're trying to influence people, you know, someone in the team to do something else or people to buy, or especially if you're like writing a blog, I think so often we just do things because we're told we need to do them. When Mm. I worked in radio, I would get sent 300 emails a day and I physically didn't have time to look at all of those things. And often they would be press releases and I would read them and people write such garbage press releases and it's because they think, oh, I'm supposed to write a press release. So I better make it look like a press release. Mm. And they don't think about like, oh, what am I actually trying to achieve here? I'm trying to get people to write about my thing or invite them on their Utens podcasts. And so how can I best do that? And the same, I think, you know, with I, I work in the online, I work with a lot of online entrepreneurs who have an online business and they'll be like, oh, I need to write an about page. So I better write an about page. But it's like, what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to get more people to sign up to your list? Are you trying to get people to read your blog? Are you trying to get people to hire you? I help people write their talks. And again, with the talks, like say it's a TED talk, you're not just like, oh, I'm going to just do a TED talk. That's not why you're doing it. Are you doing it because you want to influence people? What do you want to influence people to do? You know, are you doing it because you want to build credibility for yourself in what area? And this is the same when you're telling any story because every story has to be edited by its nature. Like even if we just told the story of the last three minutes, I might mention the color of the backdrop between behind you. You know, you might mention my English accent. Like we're all going to pull out different things. Otherwise, every single story that we told would be saying, I walked into the room and there was a chair and it was green and behind that was a table and it was brown. And then the and each story would last 40 years and we yeah. don't have to time for that. And so you edit each story. But if you ask yourself first, and this is what I do with every client for any story we work on, what do I, why am I doing this? And what do I want to be different as a result? That's going to shape how you edit it. So for example, when I work with people on their talks, um, sometimes what they want is people to sign up to their mailing list. Sometimes what they want is for people to hire them as a consultant. So then what we do is we drop tiny little advertisements for them as a consultant in the Uh. talk that don't look like advertisements. And that might just be them saying, you know, when I, when I worked with, we might be them telling a little story about working with someone to illustrate a point. Or here's an example. Um, sometimes when I'm running workshops, I talk about how your story doesn't even have to relate to your content. You can make it relate. And the example that I give is to say that at one point I wrote a blog post called Black Lives Matter, what I've learned as a white person I need to be doing. And I was saying the workshop, you know, because like a lot of white people for many years, I thought, oh, I don't use the N word. My work is done. Uh, turns out that's not true. And so then I talk about how 
um, when I wrote this blog post, I wanted to start with a story, but I don't have any stories about experiencing racial prejudice. So instead, I told this story about how um, I was sat in the bath with my four-year-old niece, and she said, I'm going to marry daddy. And I said, well, using that logic, you know, you can marry mummy as well. And she said, no, there has to be a mummy and a daddy. And I explained, no, there can be a mummy and a mummy and a daddy and a daddy and a mummy and a gender non-binary You really got into it. (laughs) (laughs) And then I said, in the blog post, as a queer person, I've been talking to the kids in my life about LGBT issues for years. I haven't been talking about race, but I've recently learned I need to. Here are some other things that I've learned. And so when I tell the story of that blog post in my workshops, it does a really great job of illustrating how you can have a different story. How First of all, you can have a story that's just one action scene. No one's going to make a movie about like Angelina Jolie in Woman Explains Gayness. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch that movie, but no one's going to make it. But secondly, about how you can have a story that doesn't even really relate to the content. So it does a great job of illustrating that point. But it also does a great job of sneaking in some activism of kind of in a way that doesn't shame anyone because I'm being like, hey, am I right, guys? But secretly being like, hey, if you thought as a white person, you just needed to not be racist. That's not actually true. There's quite a lot else you need to be doing. <laughs> but I don't this way that's like totally Trojan horsing it, you know. You snuck and so it in there. In. I snuck it in there. <laughs> I just have one more question that I have to ask you. It has been on my mind because I. It, it seems like the impossible you are a woman who ran, possibly the only ran, woman who ran, a solo marathon. What the heck is that? And it's and so- <laughs> why did you do it? And uh, it, please elaborate on the solo marathon. So I had run the New York City Marathon. That was actually the trip where I went to go see the moth um, live when I went to New York. And then I had got in to run the New York Marathon again three years later, and then it got cancelled because of Hurricane Sandy. And loads of people were like... No, I can't run a marathon. And I was like, I have trained for five months. Oh I am gosh. not not running a marathon. You didn't say you ran a marathon by yourself in a hurricane. And so, no, no, no. So here's the oh thing was gosh. I didn't because uh, I, I only because had booked into... it would have into, been insensitive. Because it would have been yes. insensitive. And also just like not possible. But I was going to London the week after. So I decided that I would run the London marathon, except it wasn't happening and for another four months. So I just decided <laughs> to run it anyway on my own. How did you know and the I, path without following a hundred people? So I had, I keep a lot of stuff in my bra when I'm running and <laughs> I had in my bra like my iPod and I had all my running gels all the way around the back and I had my phone and, uh, and I had this long kind of, not like quite laminated, but like with sellotape map that I'd drawn and then drawn the route on as well. And oh, I wow. did get lost a couple of times. I ran, it's 26.2 miles. And in the end I actually <laughs> took, I'm a very slow runner and I kept stopping to chat to people because there was no one else for them to cheer on. And so it seemed rude to just run past. And so in the end, I ran for so long that my fancy GPS watch ran out of batteries oh. because I ran for like longer than a human is supposed to. And I, and we, but we figured out that I ran about 28 miles and it's supposed to be 26.2, which is technically an ultra marathon, somebody told me. Um, but it was so great. I thought it was going to be this really solitary pursuit. And I ended up having, my, my photo was so on. did you put the word out on Facebook? So I put word out on Facebook and I emailed everybody I knew. And then um, my, I was, I was tweeting once a mile just so that people who were coming to cheer me on could see where I was because I had no idea how fast I was going to. Did total strangers show up to? to And so, yeah, it ended up that my picture was on the 
the centre of the front page of the main website of the BBC for the oh, entire So you had your own marathon. It wasn't just that you only person. It um, was literally the Marsha Shander People were calling marathon. it Marshathon. And it's kind Marshathon, of I love it. Read around Twitter as like, Marsha is live tweeting her solo marathon. So I went viral on Twitter. And so, yeah, all these strangers would just show up and be like, are you Marsha? And then hand me a bottle of Gatorade. <laughs> Come and run with me for a few miles. It was amazing. Great. It was like one of the best days I'd ever had. And somehow everyone thought that I was a hero. And we raised like what was it, like $6,000 for the charity of Lisa Lynch, who wrote the amazing book, The C Word, and the BBC TV show, The C Word. And uh, yeah, for a charity, like her favorite charity. And it was just one of the best things I've ever done. And now I'm like, I'm done. I can't really top that. I think that was my last marathon. I think you can rest on those laurels. (laughs) (laughs) Those are pretty good laurels. And two marathons is like quite a lot more impressive than one marathon, but three marathons is not that much more impressive than two marathons. (laughs) Yeah, you've done it. You can pack it in now. (laughs) And how boring to have to share the cheers with all those annoying other people. (laughs) You really just need it all for yourself. Oh, fantastic. This is making me want to say, yes, yes, Marsha. (laughs) She's totally right. Everybody listening, follow and connect with Marsha on Twitter at Yes, Yes, Marsha. Oh, say it like you mean it. Come on. On Twitter at yes, yes, Marsha. How was that? Was it good? So good. I'm going to sound for that. Well, also, if you just go to our podcast notes, we'll have a link to all things Marsha in the episode notes and her blog. Also, read it. It's fantastic and it's full of these zany videos. There are many wigs. It's available at yesyesmarsha.com. And reach out to us at U-Turns Podcast and let us know your stories. Tell us about your vulnerability, what you've learned, how you've changed. Tell us your stories. Tell us your stories. And put your emotions in there and get vulnerable. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. endless diets and weight loss struggles it's time to say goodbye to frustration and hello to results introducing smart metabolic burn from brain md your breakthrough solution to fight stubborn body fat imagine burning fat balancing glucose levels and regulating metabolism in just 12 weeks this unique two-in-one product combines the power of two clinically studied ingredients in one revolutionary formula berberine which targets abdominal fat and oea which curbs your appetite with just two capsules a day Smart Metabolic Burn by BrainMD can kickstart your metabolism, fight stubborn body fat, especially that pesky abdominal fat, and support your weight management journey. Right now, save over 30% on Smart Metabolic Burn at GetSmartBurn.com, the lowest price anywhere. That's GetSmartBurn.com. Don't delay. Transform your life with Smart Metabolic Burn from BrainMD. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Our products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Are you feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, struggling to find restful sleep, or plagued by a restless inability to focus? It's time to break free from the chains of mental health challenges and discover a path to healthy living. Welcome to Amen University, founded by renowned psychiatrist and brain health expert, Dr. Daniel Amen. Dr. Amen, alongside a team of esteemed doctors and experts in their fields, understands the struggles you're facing and are here to offer solutions. From debilitating anxiety to sleepless nights filled with worry, our courses are meticulously crafted to target 
target these specific challenges head on. Join us on a journey of transformation led by Dr. Amen and a roster of top-tier professionals. Say goodbye to the constant battle with your mind and embrace a future filled with hope and possibility. Visit our website today to explore our courses and start your journey towards a brighter tomorrow. Use code BRAIN10 and get 10% off. That's code BRAIN10 and get 10% off your first purchase. Amen University, because your mental health matters. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.